the relationship between two people who are somehow locked up together in a marriage can become very toxic. Communication does not help. It rather exacerbates the problem. The people cannot stand each other. They are allergic to each other. Communication increases the allergic reactions. The situation becomes even worse when someone is interested in increasing the issues. A lawyer was fired from the office of a friend of mine. She had encouraged her client to increase her attacks on her husband and enjoyed with the client his desperation and outbursts. She was silly enough to break to her colleagues about her so-called effectiveness. She shut up when the husband killed her client. The husband had complained to his friends about the behavior of the firm. To save their reputation, the old too effective lawyer was fired by the law firm. She went bonkers. Her competitive and highly successful ego could not cope with the fall. In the same way, arms or political dealers can be interested in increasing the tensions until they escalate into combat. However, it is unlikely that the instigators will become crazy from the result of their actions. They might have the attitude that people will die sooner or later anyway, so why not make something useful out of it? And sometimes they even have elaborate ideologies to justify, justify their actions. This was the case of Stangl. He did not think that he was evil. He actually sacrificed himself for the good of the German people. He even thought that he did the Jews a big favor. Without us, they would not have created their own state and fought the English and Arabs for it. I consider the talks between Sereny and Stangl as an absolutely precious achievement by Sereny. She could have walked off any time, but did not, even though she sometimes felt the greatest fear of her life to continue these talks, as she herself said. Stangl was locked up for life, bored to death. The talks did not bore him to death, but rather, rather put him to death. But Serenity did not walk away undamaged either. By, but more about that later on. The talks go far beyond a psychological portrait of a mass murderer. They go far beyond a document of the Holocaust. They are a key to understand the roots of human conflicts, marital or political, and maybe also a key to outline a solution. So let's begin with that. I will not streamline the whole thing by going back, revising it and creating a system out of it. You should follow the work as it is going on. Maybe you will it will help you to do a similar thing. First, I feel some regret concerning the interaction between Sereny and Stangl. As it was in a nutshell, 
the talks with Therini started to work on Iceberg Stangl. He went into a meltdown. The water from the meltdown contained, contained toxic substances which poisoned Therini. You will say that this is not in the book. True, it's not. The book said that Stangl, Stangl's meltdown ended in his death. But how could the interaction not have affected Therini deeply too? I called her. She said that she had uncontrollable tremors for a year and grew a cancer, which she luckily was cured of later on. However, I still regret something, which is Stangl's premature death. Do I feel sorry for him? Hell no. I would have liked to unfold him. I would have liked to unfold himself even more than he did. Unfold himself to his former glory as a man over life and death, strutting around in his prison cell in Düsseldorf, reenacting his role as a commandant and his meetings with influential figures from politics, military, business, police, banks, and church. But then I also could imagine that the cell might have turned into a gas chamber for both Serenity and Stangl. I'm sometimes a little uneasy about the rampant pragmatism of the American government. We need the Nazis against the Soviets. Of course, the same thing happened on the other side too. We need the Nazis against the Americans. The American government imported Nazi experts after World War II, like Werner von Braun, which had previously fired his rocket, rockets on the English. Now the new target was the Russians. To entertain and groom the Nazi experts, the American army used Jewish soldiers who had escaped from Germany. The reason was simple, they spoke German fluently. Why does this pragmatism make me feel uneasy? It is fucking sloppy. It does not solve anything. Today Putin acts out the old problems. I have a piece of, on my website where I give psychological portraits of Hitler, great F, Putin, great D, Xi Jinping, great C. Then I say, if that is all humankind has to offer, then we might not make it. I think we must do better. Governments are not enough. They are needed, but notoriously sloppy and wasteful. So let us go back to Stangl and Serenity. How could they help, for example, in the conflict between Israelis and Palestinians? I think that Serenity's main interest was in exploring whether evil was an elementary force, not an effect or a reaction to something else. I think that she believed the latter, but came awfully close to believing the former through her talks with Stangl. However, she was right. The iceberg melted down in her presence. So we need two people whose minds and beings are in opposite camps and who are willing to talk to each other and not stop even if they should both die from it. 
and now it comes. Their interaction should be on worldwide TV. I think that might be an alternative to the normal reality shows and as, as an, a good add-on to normal diplomacy. Let me go back to the toxic substances that emanated from Stangl and poison serenade, especially the remark that the Jews owed their the state of Israel to the Nazis. The Nazis as a Peace Corps help as Peace Corps helpers, really? You must be kidding, Stangl. Israel was an unintended consequence of the Nazi extermination politics. The Nazi targeted lice went into the fur of the English and bit them badly. Some former Nazis then helped to deal the Arabs with the unintended consequences of their politics. The, Arts, the Arabs to this very day do not understand that they owe the Nazis their favorite enemy. Now the Arabs might become mad at me and send me a suicide bomber to my place. You know what? I don't care. I'm too old for that. And by the way, I have nothing against Muslims. My favorite people in former Yugoslavia were Muslims. I still remember I still remember an old Muslim farmer with his felt cap in a bank of Titograd. He was treated very disdainfully by the Serbian teller bitch. I also understand why the Serbs were loaded with hatred. If you are tortured for centuries by a for foreign power, the Turks in this case, you are likely to react this way. Is that an excuse for the teller bitch? No. She could reframe herself from acting that hatred out. The hatred is out of place now. The Turks are gone for a hundred years. The Arabs should also calm down and see the facts. The Jews are there. They are not leaving. If you want to complain, to go to the German government and sue them for compensation. The, the hatred is out of place again. As I said, some people profit from, from uh, the uh, uh, difficulties financially or politically. They have no interest in peace. I think that normal Arabs do, as do the Jews. Both parties should send a normal and intelligent representative and discuss the issues openly in the political reality show I have been proposing. I want to leave this topic now, the political side of it. It is beginning to bore me. Let me go back to my, to my field of so-called expertise, counseling. I told you, I think I, I was in the German Triangle uh, podcast that I never saw kids alone. I only saw them together with parents. The reasons were, first, I did not want to talk to kids directly. I do not like to talk to deaf people. That the kids were deaf was very likely. That's why the parents brought them in. So I gave the kids something interesting to play with, 
They start playing and I start talking to the parents about the kids. I encourage the parents to be very open. Sometimes I take the side of the kids and correct the parents. Our talks undeafen the playing kid. The ears grow larger and larger into the size of an elephant. That was my first reason. However, even it was not an absolute. Some rare times, only once, the parents were such idiots that I had to talk to the child alone. However, here is the second reason why I avoided that. Once a five-year-old boy started stripping, showed me his penis, then bent over, pulled his buttocks apart and showed me his asshole. Can you imagine what might have happened if the kid had told his parents, absent parents, after the session what he had done? But now the parents witnessed the child's behavior themselves. Now they were the lucky ones to have been with me. A possible reaction of another counselor might have been to suspect sexual child abuse. Things like that happen. The question is only whether it happened in this case. It is enough to conclude from is it enough to conclude from statistical results such as in 99% of the cases in which a child exhibits seductive sexual behavior, the child has been sexually abused. That the parents have done it? No. First a sibling or other kids or another adult might have done it. Then the kids might have gotten into contact with some creep on the internet. Or leaving all that alone, the kid might have a booming sexual fantasy life. Then the study might have been flawed. And even if not, it could be that the parents belong to the decent 1%. If you call child protective services, you could punish an innocent couple. Do counselors think like that? Uh, no, very often not. Often they jump to conclusions, especially if they're zealots to protect children. However, this does not just mean that they are after adults. No, that does just mean that they are after adults and not that they are actually uh, protecting the children. Let me give you a personal example. I once worked in Rocky Mount, Virginia. I drove each day from Greensboro to Rocky Mount and back a commute of three to four hours daily. I took over the children's division because the previous counselor had been fired. They put her whole full-time caseload on me even though I was there only three days per week. When they began adding additional cases, I complained and was graciously hired for four days per week. One late afternoon, a 15-year-old girl came in. I wondered why she had pulled the peak of her cap down over her face. I peeped under it, grinning, and pulled it up a little. The girl's face was wet with tears, 
but she started smiling a little through them. I asked her what was going on. She was desperate. She had been sexually abused by her father for years and had finally revealed it to her mother. All hell broke loose. Her father shouted at her and threatened her and first denied everything. Then he finally admitted everything. After he did, his wife called the law. However, the magistrate, a buddy of his, had let him go. Now the girl was in fear to be killed by her father. The children's rights crusaders at the agency were full of vocal condemnations that the magistrate had let him go. But one thing was clear to them. Such a thing had to be expected in a male-dominated society in which women were just sexual objects. So I drove home after work. However, I could not sleep and thought how I could help the girl. Then I had an idea. I sat down in front of the computer and typed a few let and typed a letter addressed to the juvenile judge Melasco in Rocky Mount. Although it was a free day of mine and I was tired, I got into the car and hand delivered my letter to the judge in Rocky Mount. The girl's father was arrested within the hour. You might wonder what was in the letter. I wrote about the following. Dear Judge, how would you like to read the following in a Yankee newspaper? Rocky Mount, Deep South. Father sexually abuses daughter for years. Father set free by court. Daughter pushed into suicide. The judge knew that I would do my best to get the case published. I do not know whether he knew what the magistrate had done, but the judge and I had a great relationship afterwards. Now, let me address the behavior of the children's right, right, rights act advocates again. The belief in the male domination might be right. But that does not mean that one must fight the dominant army by another army of right activists. A huge backward army can be defeated by a smaller, dedicated revolutionary army. To be effective, the revolutionaries must have a unifying progressive ideology, deviations from which cannot be tolerated. Stray dogs must be, must be publicly shamed and criticized. The general of this army was a powerful guy called Jeffrey Mason, a very gifted and ambitious man who makes me feel uneasy. I like to smoke my long reservist pipe, but if the tobacco is too strong, it makes me dizzy first and then sick. Mason is just a tobacco too strong, too intense for me. I also do not understand all the drama about psychoanalysis, Freudians against Masonians. Drama, drama, drama. Ego, ego, ego. Is such a spectacle typically Jewish? I don't think so. 
if you would attack Washington the same way like Mason did with Floyd, you would expect a similar, maybe even bigger drama. Mason can do what he wants. He now writes wonderful books about animals. All in all, the guy is too obnoxiously elitist and emotional for me. I'm much more in favor of guys like uh, Georg Elzer, who tried to assassinate Adolf Hitler in 1939 and almost succeeded. The Gestapo did not believe him, they had done it all by himself. We and the Abwehr, the greatest security apparatuses in the world, defeated by a carpenter and a lone wolf? That cannot be. So they tortured, drugged and even hypnotized him. All they got was an... It was only me. It was only me. Elsa was a nice and unassuming man. And very dangerous. Groups are exposed to penetration by their enemies. He was not. Imagine a hundred Elsers acting independently against Nazi bosses. These bosses would have occupied a great many resources to protect their assets. Much more effective than a group and a company of elite soldiers of the same size. Goodbye now.